0: Do brain games really make me smarter? What is all this screen time doing to my brain? How do I protect my brain as I age? Find the answers to life's most and least pressing questions about your mind with the Two Guys on Your Head podcast. Check it out wherever you get your podcasts.
1: From KUT and
0: KUTX Studios. This this, this is you. KUT. KUT, Austin. Stop. I used to
1: get mad at my school. Welcome to Higher Ed, KUT's podcast focusing on issues of higher education, lifelong learning, and exercising the brain. I'm Jennifer Staten with KUT 90.5 austin's npr station talking as always with dr ed berger president of southwestern university in georgetown
0: texas hello ed hello jennifer it's so good to not only see you back on my campus but to see you adorned with black and gold
1: you know i try to remember to do that when i know i'm coming to (laughs) campus for tapings and i'm impressed that that i remembered
0: i'm impressed too and I'm, i'm grateful
1: well, you know, the other thing about wearing black and gold when I come to campus is I don't have to decide what I'm going <laughs> to wear those days. It's sort of the decision is made for me because I'm going to I'm going to make a confession. I am a I feel like I'm a terrible decision maker. That I'm really bad at making decisions. So, I thought that might be a good topic for us to talk about today in the context of Nice segue. Le- well, thank you. In in the context of learning. I'm always intrigued if things that we wrestle with sort of in the classroom and outside of the classroom, if there are things that we can learn in during formal education that we can sort of take with us to the outside world, if you will, not that there's a barrier, but, you know, things that we can learn and apply sort of everywhere in life. And um, decision-making is intriguing to me, and I'm wondering if there are things that crop up in our formal education that could help guide us to make better decisions, because I just find it incredibly difficult.
0: Right. Well, I mean, first of all, there's many different types of decisions sure. that an individual makes. And so, you know, finding your life partner is different than deciding on the restaurant you want to go to yes, on Saturday night. or what shirt to wear. Or, yes. what, or, yeah, <laughs> or what, what, what shirt or blouse to wear. Exactly. I will point out, by the way, that uh, when I arrived here at Southwestern, I guess now it was five years ago, uh, I made a uh, covenant with myself that I would only wear black and gold ties. Ah. And so I have uh, put into re- temporary retirement all like hundreds of ties that I had that are you know pink and red and blue and green and I wear none of them and black and gold is a very difficult color to get with ties. So in some sense I I, I appreciate the fact that when I'm on my campus I only wear one type of tie.
1: That is, that is no I, decision. But the right. decisions
0: that that we make about all sorts of things I think can be influenced by our formal education if our formal education is teaching us really uh, practices of mind that allow us to think better and. You know, I, I think some of the things that are intriguing to think about, even on uh, silly or, or simple decisions, like where, you know, what to wear, where do you want to go for dinner, uh, you know, to acknowledge uh, bias, to acknowledge prejudice, to force oneself to discover blind spots. In fact, you know, I just finished a book, which we'll talk about some other episode, I hope, um, called Making Up Your Own Mind. And it's about education and about the course I teach at Southwestern on puzzle solving and, and the mind. But one of the things that I, I talk about in that book is that it's not enough to say, hey, let me see if I have blind spots. But the mindset that I suggest in the book is assert with certainty that you have blind spots. Well, I have we blind all do. spots. Exactly. We but acknowledge do. it and it and just acknowledging it and then saying okay, I have blind spots, now I'm going to identify them is a different mindset than saying I wonder if I have blind spots, which means the answer may be no, I don't. But say I've got blind spots. Similarly, if there's something that you understand really deeply to say I don't understand this that deeply, then all of a sudden you can you can understand it more deeply. So identifying those things allows us to then begin to kind of doubt what we would otherwise have think, otherwise think is in fact our obvious choice or our obvious answer in making a decision. And instead saying, well, let me now think through this from different angles and see this thing differently. And then all of a sudden you realize that this strange possibility that you can use as a, as a decision making thing, uh, might actually be more beneficial to you.
1: Do you think that we are able to identify our own blind spots or do you think we need to look outside of us. So say we're in a classroom setting and I'm I'm trying to to solve a question or I'm trying to decide about taking a class or something and I'm talking to my advisor, should we look outside of us for sort of that verification of <laughs> yes, actually you do have a blind spot there, Jennifer, you might want to think about that or can we trust ourselves to really honestly acknowledge what our blind spots are
0: well of course uh, an outside perspective is always going to be able to amplify and identify those blind spots so the answer is emphatically yes and in fact I would argue that that is the the power uh, of uh, one's formal education when you're engaging with a faculty member and not you know sitting in a in a room with five hundred other students and and one professor down you know at the very bottom of stage but but rather you know that one on one office hour after class conversation or even the class discussion in the seminar setting uh, the professor is trying to provoke that thought and and challenge uh, students' minds in that way. that being said the ideal formal education is one that begins to train an individual to be able to kind of challenge him or herself to ask those questions now i will readily agree that i think it's easier and and potentially much more effective to have that outside perspective that's in some sense a little bit more unbiased right i mean we all think we're so wonderful and so therefore we're perfect well uh how do you even after you identify the fact that yeah i'm not perfect how do you then find a direction in which you can, you can see that imperfection? Much harder to do on one's own, but not impossible. And, and if that is one of the features of one's formal education, as it is at Southwestern, then I think that you really can begin to do that. But you're absolutely right. Having an outside perspective will always be much more unbiased and therefore give a, a much more honest uh, account of reality.
1: Is there anything in, in the formal or informal educational experience that can help us with a part of the decision making process that's about the outcome. Cause I think I know for me and I wonder if for other people that part of the reason why it's hard to make a decision is we're worried about we're worried about something about the outcome. Either we're gonna make the wrong, I'm saying wrong in quotes decision, we might make a decision that that could be a failure, or could not be seen as you know appropriate. I just wonder if sometimes the decision-making process, we actually kind of know what it is we want or what we think we should do, but we get really hung up on the outcome.
0: It's it's scary to uh, think about the future because we can't really predict it. We have imperfect information, and we're trying to make decisions with that imperfect information about something that's going to happen. Especially if you're talking about making a decision. But I would say that as long as the decisions are. Are, are thoughtful or whatever that means to the individual, then even when an outcome, which is what you're asking about, is not great or not ideal immediately, I have found in my own life experience that over the long term, either there are lessons learned that actually become more valuable or uh, even though it doesn't seem optimal or so great that somehow later on there are opportunities to amplify that and turn that into something great. And so I guess, you know, this... This really optimistic perspective, which is that, you know, you do the best you can at the moment, you make the decision, and then and then let it take its course, but be open to the fact that if it doesn't work out or if you fail or whatever, that there's an opportunity there for learning, and then in the long run, it might be the best thing that ever happened to you was that you failed that thing.
1: Well, and you brought up another great point about decision-making, I think, which is another aspect of it that we can learn, I believe, is we can learn to not necessarily need that instant gratification, I think a lot of our decision making is I want this to feel good and work out like yes. in the next five seconds or five minutes, not five days or weeks or months or years or decades. And that
0: leads to frustration, which we've talked about in a previous episode, that if you, know, if you don't have that instant gratification uh, emotionally or psychologically or just in terms of what you want or what you think is right uh, – Patience uh, is a virtue. I wasn't the first to say that, but but I think that it's appropriate, especially in today's world of social media where things are, are traveling at the speed of light.
1: All right. I have a decision to share. I've decided I am ready for a new puzzler. It's time.
0: Now, this is one of those decisions that you'll probably regret. <laughs> I may. But I'm hoping that in the long term, you will see it as a positive, even yes. though in the short term, you will not like it.
1: It, it may be one of those that <clears throat> hours and days from now, I will be ecstatic yes. that I made this
0: decision. Yeah, I think it'll be more like years. But Okay. okay. Uh, I, I brought one that I really like oh good uh, and so this is a favorite of mine e- It's a little complicated. okay so you have to visualize with me a chessboard okay so you know how you know black and white alternating squares yep but I want you to think of this as an endless chessboard. So if you if you okay. think mathematically this is like taking the plane and putting you know these grids on it and and these squares and and you know every other one is is black and white and so forth. So you have an endless chessboard and now the question is, on each square, we're going to write a positive whole number. So one, two, three, right. four, five, six, seven, positive and so forth.
1: whole number. Right. Okay. So
0: one, starting with that, so the first the first number is one, two, three, four. You know, those are all the positive whole numbers. Okay. Okay. So you're going to write a positive whole number on each square in any way that you want, but it has to satisfy the following important property. Okay. That suppose you're on a black square right now and you put a number there. If you think about it visually, it's surrounded by four white squares. Yes. Okay. The numbers in the four white squares, if you take their average, so add them all up and divide by four, the average of those numbers that surround that black square needs to be the number of the black square.
1: Well, wow. This let me is let me say that. I, I'm,
0: so let me say it again. So uh, you want to place these numbers down in a fashion so that the number in a particular square is going to equal the average of the four adjacent square numbers. So take the four numbers. So for example, if you're at a white square, you're surrounded by four black squares. Take the numbers in the four black squares, add them up, divide by four, and that needs to be the number in the white square. The question is. Can you cover the entire endless chessboard with numbers so that they all satisfy this condition uh, that, you know, one square's number is equal to the average of the surrounding ones? Can it be done or not? And if so, can you describe how one could do this? That is the challenge. And I told you, you would not like this for years, but it's a very fun one. It's a very fun one.
1: I'm... I'm strangely drawn to it.
0: Putting down positive whole numbers. I'm
1: be- Right. Now, can I ask? You one? can ask
0: anything you'd like, because this is a tricky one. So
1: positive whole numbers, and you may have said this before. Yes. But is Does there have to be a sequence to them? So in other words, do I imagine starting one, no, no. two, three? No, okay.
0: no. This is, this is this is the collection of numbers that you are to draw from. Okay. You don't have to use them all. Okay. You don't have to whatever. Oh, do anything it. you want.
1: This is really interesting. Yeah,
0: no, I like this one a lot. This is a great one. Mm-hmm.
1: So I will, I will make a decision. <laughs> I want to, attempt I to tell, solve this.
0: I want to tell our listeners that I've never seen your eyebrows kind of go up that high in terms of like thinking. It's like Whoa. they, they are still on my forehead. But they barely. are, but barely. Exactly.
1: Barely. So um, Ed, just as we wrap up here, I think it might be useful if you or I or each of us shared a a case study or an example of a decision that we have made that either turned out. Over the long term, to be something that was a good decision, or what we might consider not a good decision, but one that we could sort of apply aspects of liberal arts or aspects of thinking and mindfulness too, as examples of what we've been talking about. Do you have a kind of a big, a big ticket decision that comes to mind? I
0: could give one or do you want to go first, whatever you'd like? Well,
1: I can do a a real brief one. I remember when I was um, a few decades ago, I had been out of college and working for a few years and sort of trying to decide what to do next. And I was a bit stuck. I was living in a community I liked. I had a job in radio that I adored, wonderful friends, great place. But I thought, you know, I just think it's time, I think it's time to challenge. And I, I'm just feeling a little bit um unchallenged right now. So I, I literally thought, what are the things that I don't feel like I have in life right now that are missing? Mm. What do I think I need to, to augment? And I realized I needed I needed a little bit more of an intellectual challenge and stimulation, and I needed more peer interaction. I was living Mm. in a place where there were a lot of college students, but then a lot of older folks, but sort of my age group kind of mid to later 20s, not a lot. And so I thought, all right, this is is a bit of a puzzle. What's the solution? Mm. And I thought, let's see, hmm, intellectual stimulation peers – that sounds like formal education setting to me. So that helped me decide huh. to go to graduate school, which is hands down one of the top three best decisions I ever made in my life. Wonderful. So it was it was a decision that at the front end felt very full of emotion. Like, oh my gosh, I feel like I need to do something. What am I going to do? I can't figure it out. And then I thought, well, wait a minute. I need to make a decision that makes sense and is good for me. What are the things that are missing? And I actually figured that out and made the match. And once I did that, sort of the emotion kind of melted away. And I I realized actually, yeah, this is actually a good decision. So it was, it was not the sort of angst ridden painful process. I thought it was going to be.
0: Oh, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. Well, actually the one that I was thinking of is very similar to that, which was, uh, you know, I'd spent 23 years as a professor of mathematics at an institution that I really loved and then the opportunity at southwestern university came along to to lead the university and it was a really challenging and difficult decision to think about do you want to make that big leap from going you know a full-time faculty member mathematician scholar to being someone who now oversees a very complicated albeit you know small on the smaller side very complicated institution and i went through the process that you just articulated so beautifully and at the end of the day, said that I think I need to be challenged, I need to be intellectually stimulated in this way, and that it's the right time and and so i I said that it's something i I want to do and and just like you, the moment I made that decision and in the aftermath you you just realized that was you know the right thing to do and and it's it's easy in hindsight to look back. And now, you know, five years in, no regrets at all. It's not always an easy job. It's not always a pleasant job. It's not a job where it solicits joy all the time, like a professorship. I mean, if you're a professor, you're just always happy. But you're doing meaningful work. You're trying to make things better. And in my case, I'm taking something that I absolutely love and I'm passionate about, which is meaningful and impactful education, and trying to amplify that. And there's no greater joy than that.
1: And you brought up a great final point about decision-making, which is very few decisions are um, 100% one or the other right. 100% perfect or 100% awful They're going to have shades of both
0: Exactly, it's all about balance
1: It's all about balance Dr. Ed Berger, thank you for helping us keep things balanced Dr. Ed Berger is president of Southwestern University in Georgetown, Texas You can find out more at southwestern.edu And you can keep your brain busy by keeping up with the news And other episodes of Higher Ed At KUT.org I'm Jennifer Staten, KUT News
0: Do brain games really make me smarter? What is all this screen time doing to my brain? How do I protect my brain as I age? Find the answers to life's most and least pressing questions about your mind with the Two Guys on Your Head podcast. Check it out wherever you get your podcasts.